Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Out of the tunnel this afternoon to the victor goes the spoils. TCU has rewarded head coach Sonny Dykes with a raise and an extension. Dykes has been extended through 2028 and his salary boosted near the top levels of the Big 12. His team is 12-1 and and headed to the college football playoff in his first season. And it's official Jim Leonard will leave Wisconsin. He was the Badgers interim coach for the final regular season games after they surprisingly fired Paul Christ. He will serve as the D.C. for the Rose Bowl and then move on. And it's homecoming for Purdue's Jeff Braun. Louisville putting the final touches on a deal to make Braun the Cardinals' next head coach. He's been the coach at Purdue the past six seasons and guided the Boilermakers to the Big Ten championship game this season. Happy to have you for this midweek but hour-long edition of College Football Live. Tom Luganville, Wendy Nix, Roddy Jones with you for the next hour. Listen, uh, guys, we got a lot to talk about. Certainly, we're going to be bowling soon, but there's a lot of familiar faces that will be in new places next season as we have to talk about the transfer portal. Take a look at this. We start with quarterback Devin Leary leaving NC State. He threw for over 3,400 yards and 35 touchdowns, but was only able to play in six games this season before he tore his right peck against Florida State. Wide receiver Dorian Singer leaving the University of Arizona after an extremely productive sophomore season. He led the Pac-12 with over 1,100 receiving yards, finished with the six most receptions. Quarterback Spencer Sanders intends to leave Oklahoma State. He threw for nearly 10,000 yards. Is it four years with the Cowboys? This season, Sanders played in 10 games and threw for more than 2,500 yards. A bit of a surprise from Death Valley. Clemson quarterback DJ Ui Angalale has entered the portal. He finishes his junior season with more than 2,500 passing yards and seven picks. The Tigers, by the way, 11-2 and two with him under center this season. And we stay in the ACC. Corner Tony Grimes will leave North Carolina. He's a former five-star recruit. He had a season-high seven tackles on the Tar Heels win over Wake. Here's his former coach on the portal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You guys, this is a whole can of worms, and I understand there are certainly some advantages for players who can move on the same way head coaches can who've recruited them, Lukes. But listen, anytime you have a change like this, you're going to have some unforeseen issues. And I got to tell you, if, if you've got all of this going on for a player, I'm not sure how they focus on the team and the task at hand. Well, they're likely not overly worried about the team or the task at hand. I think if you look at over the last uh, almost 72 hours now, well over 1,000 players into the transfer portal. And for a player like a Tony Grimes, a Devin Leary, uh, maybe a Desan McCullough, the defensive edge rusher at Indiana, and some other names that have gone into portal, sure, they're going to have some places. They're, they're a proven commodity. Uh, there's proof in the pudding. You look at Spencer Sanders. He's done for over 10,000 yards. He's going to have a landing spot. But the vast majority of the number of these kids are not. And when the music stops, they're going to be left without a chair. And I think that's what's really concerning here is – for college programs and coaches, you're having to not only go out and recruit and make uh, decisions at the high school level, you're going to have to make decisions within your own team. Now, I think some of these transfer portal entries also have to do with a mutual arrangement of saying, yep, it's probably time for you to go. And the player says, well, I got to go find something else. And um, it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's no question about that. I think you're right. I do think you make a valid point, though, that sometimes it's a two-way street with both the coach and player. Entering Wednesday, we have seen 1,050 different players enter the transfer portal. 750 of those have been scholarship players. Guys, if you do the math, I mean, you see what can happen. Expect that number to rise. And keep in mind, more than 3,000 FBS players entered the portal last year. Here's more from Mac Brown. I think the key here, Roddy, is that coaches and teams are going to have to audible in the way Mac Brown says he has. You know, he did not anticipate saying that five years ago. Now he can understand, look, if you're doing the right things, you can play. Uh, but, listen, it's, it's a tough spot to be in for coaches and programs trying to plan for the future. 
It really is, Wendy, and I think it puts coaches in a situation where you don't entirely want to close the door on all the guys that are in the portal. Maybe they don't hear a number from another team that they like, or maybe they don't find a spot. You, you do want to save some room, I would imagine, for some of those guys to come back. But, but coaches are going to have to come to the realization that there is a pecking order in college football. And if you are not at the absolute top of that pecking order and the player isn't at the absolute top of that school – then you're in danger of losing them. And we heard what Mac Brown said. Dave Clawson has come out and said, hey, look, if Sam Hartman gets a really big offer to go play somewhere else monetarily, it may be more lucrative for him to stay in college for another year at another institution than go to the NFL. And we have to be okay with that. So coaches have to change the way their mindset is. And overall, uh, I think it is. It's difficult and it forces evolution from these coaches. Yeah, no question. And again, one of the arguments in favor of the portal is that coaches can move on anytime they want to. We're seeing this again today. A new Louisville head coach, Jeff Brom, spent five years at, at, at Louisville as a player. Then he had a seven-year NFL career. His college head coaching career began at Western Kentucky, where he led the Hilltoppers to three straight bowl games, and that was prior to coaching at Purdue. College football writer Andrea Adelson joins us now. And, Andrea, you've covered the ACC for quite some time. Obviously, this is a homecoming of sorts for Jeff Brom. But is there anything additional that made him appealing uh, in this situation? Certainly, he has a track record of success, but a lot of this has been five years in the making. This is who Louisville wanted to hire in 2018 when they fired Bobby Petrino. They went after Jeff Brom, as you mentioned, native son. Not only did he play there, but he's from Louisville. It's very similar to me in the Miami hire of Mario Cristobal, right? The homecoming for the native son coming back. But Jeff Brom said no in 2018. They went with Scott Satterfield. And I think it was time for everybody to move on, both Scott Satterfield and for Louisville. So there was no question the number one person that was going to be called was Jeff Brom. So there's no surprise here. And I talked to a friend of mine who's a producer in Louisville on the radio there just to get a sense for the excitement there in Louisville because this is who the fan base has wanted. And he told me he didn't think that there was this much excitement and this much of a unified fan base since Rick Pitino was hired as the basketball coach. So that just gives you a little bit of a sense of why this is such a big deal to the folks in Louisville. No question. And to your point, five years in the making. Uh, Andrea, elsewhere in college football, some news from UVA. Obviously, an extremely difficult time for the Cavaliers. And there are going to be some adjustments made. Is that correct? Yes, so Virginia Athletic Director Carla Williams asked the NCAA to grant an extra year of eligibility for any senior whose eligibility was up this year in 2022, and the NCAA said yes. So any senior who is done right now could potentially get one extra year. Remember, Virginia canceled its final two games of the season after the tragedy in which three of its players were shot and killed. This only applies to a handful of players, so we don't have any additional details about whether anyone's going to take the NCAA up on this offer, but certainly it's something Virginia feels strongly about because they want their players to have every opportunity to be able to finish their career the right way. Understandably so. Andrea, thank you. Uh, back with Lugs and Roddy, we'll circle back to Jeff Brom again, finding his way to Louisville the second time around, uh, not just as a player, but I mean, they tried to hire him once, as Andrea explained, Lugs, and, and now this finally works out. Uh, what will make this uh, a marriage uh, a fit, a, a right fit? 
It's not a destination job for him. Uh, excuse me, it's not a, a leapfrog job. It's not like taking a job to try and get the next job. It is a destination job for, for Jeff Brom. And, you know, the familiarity between him, the community, the fan base, the administration, let's not forget he was a longtime assistant coach there. This has been in the making for a long, long time. He just needed to go prove his chops as a head coach, which he's done at now two different stops. And I think the administration had a really strong feeling that with Scott Satterfield, no matter the success that he had had at Appalachian State, it just seemed like he always had one foot out the door. Weren't sure, convinced of how committed he was to being the long-standing head coach at Louisville with a long-term vision. And I'll say this, if you haven't been on the Louisville campus, if you haven't seen what that university has done investing in athletics, you need to take a look at it. Because I think Jeff Brom is hitting this at the right time because they've got the available resources to not only be a contender in the ACC, but to be a contender nationally. Lugs, I could not agree with you more. When you look at what's going to make this successful, it's buy-in, first and foremost, because this is who Louisville wanted for years, going back to when Bobby Petrino uh, got fired. This is who the fans have been clamoring for. This is who they've had their eye on. So there's now no excuse. It's the only show in town when it comes to high-level sports. It is an extremely well-resourced program. It is a program that has new administration from the president to the athletic director and now to the head coach. So you would imagine all of them are going to be on the same page. And as Luke said, uh, the, the facilities are fantastic. Scott Satterfield was putting together – his best recruiting class of his tenure at Louisville, a a recruiting class that included the number one running back in the country. And so you can recruit to Mm -hmm. to Louisville. They've had a pipeline in in Florida. You can obviously go to Ohio and get players. They're players uh, all around. And so Jeff Brom will have everything he needs to be successful for the Cardinals. Uh, Brian, by the way, guys, expected to be formally introduced on Thursday. But you talk about buy-in. When you're talking about Patino as the head coach and everybody on the same page in the same way, to your point, you're certainly starting out on the right foot. Uh, Still to come, again, on this hour-long edition of College Football Life, it's almost bowling season, and we've got some notable names who will play in New Year's Six Bowls. A lot of orange in a couple of these, by the way. We'll tell you what to watch for. And TCU channeling their Aretha Franklin. How about a little respect for the Horned Frogs? Never too soon to look ahead to the college football playoff. TCU's perfect season spoiled by Kansas State in the Big 12 championship, but the Horned Frogs live to play another day. What a long, strange trip it's been all the way to the college football playoff. Here's how it happened.
Lukes, we often say football is a game of inches. Never more was that true than in the Big 12 <laughs> championship game. Nevertheless, here we are. It is a new season now, and TCU will get to participate. What stands out to you about this TCU team? That they have much better players collectively than I think people give them credit for. I, you know, and, and I'm not just referencing, you know, all conference guys. Yeah, Max Duggan's first team all court, uh, quarterback, Kendra Miller, first team running back. But the defensive side of the football for me, the two corners, Josh Newton and Travis uh, Hodges Tomlinson are the two, excuse me, Tomlinson Hodges, excuse me, uh, hyphenated name. Those two players on the defensive back end for TCU are really, really good. And I feel like TCU defensively is comfortable saying, you know what, we're going to load the box. And we think that we can match up with Michigan's personnel on the outside and hold up. Now, I think they'll be a little bit more diverse in their choices in terms of how they play against Michigan than just, say, how Ohio State did. But don't discount this team. I, I think that, you know, yes, they've won one possession games. Um, yes, they've won on the road. And, and they've had to squeak some games out. I think that's what makes them who they are. And so, for my money, I think they'll be in a dogfight. Could Michigan outlast them because of depth in the second half? Sure. But I think going into this game, TCU is a much better team than people think. I tend to agree, and I think attrition is their calling card, and there are certainly worse things. They will match up against Michigan, Roddy, who does have the advantage in one sense of going to the playoff for a second straight season, but what changes do you see in this year's Michigan squad? Well, it's felt like this Michigan team has been on a mission, and while they're they're not as good, especially in the defensive front as they were last year, having lost Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, they're better offensively, and it feels like this team has been gearing for this moment, even going back to the decision to go with J.J. McCarthy over Cade McNamara. They didn't do that to beat Penn State. They didn't do that to beat Michigan State. They did that to win in the college football playoff with his ability to throw the ball down the field and especially what he gives them in the run game with his legs, which has bailed them out a number of times this season. So this is a Michigan team that seems like it's been singularly focused on getting back to the college football playoff and avenging that loss to Georgia that they had a year ago. I think Michigan is no doubt on a mission, but I also agree with Luke's. I think this could be a closer game that a lot of people are counting on. Again, we'll see soon enough, but we got a lot of football to be played between now and then. Let's take a look now at some of the notable New Year's Six Bowls. Speaking of which, Michigan and TCU, this is the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. The Horn Frogs, as we just talked about, that emotional loss to Kansas City, uh, Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. Michigan won the Big Ten title game. They beat Purdue. You've got Georgia and Ohio State. They will meet in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. These two teams have gone head-to-head once before. That was the 93 Florida Citrus Bowl, the starting quarterback with the Buckeyes. And that one, none other than our own Kirk Herbstreet. Alabama faces Kansas State in the All-State Sugar Bowl. First time these two programs have played. Also marks the Crimson Tide's 17th appearance in the Sugar Bowl, the most by any team. Tulane will square off against USC in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, the first time that Tulane and USC have met since the 40, 1946. Meanwhile, I mentioned this earlier. You must like Orange for this game. Genesee and Clemson headline the Capital One Orange Bowl, apropos. The first time these two schools have met since the Vols beat the Tigers in the 04 Peach Bowl. The Volunteers enter the game with the highest scoring average in the FBS. And then finally, the Rose Bowl. We've got Penn State and Utah. 
It marks Penn State's first Rose Bowl appearance since 2017, while Utah, the first team to make back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances since Stanford did it in 2012-2013. We say hello to college football reporter Paolo Ugetti, who will cover the Rose Bowl never too soon. Uh, Paolo, to start looking ahead, Utah, as I mentioned, makes back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances. What they don't want to do is have back-to-back losses. How do they avoid that? Well, I think if Kyle Whittingham was able to replicate the execution and the game plan that the Utes had against USC in the Pac-12 championship, they'll be in good shape. If you saw that game, they did not panic when they got behind. They focused on stopping the run game, limiting Caleb Williams as much as they could, and then just trusting that their offense was going to catch up. And that's exactly what happened. Once they gained the lead, they did not give it back. And I think that's what you're going to see against Penn State is against Ohio State last year, they... They got into a shootout, right? And I think this year they'll have to focus on their defense, on stopping the Penn State offense in order for them to be successful and not lose two Rose Bowls in a row. It will be Sean Clifford's final game at Penn State. How does he go out on a high note? Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's a real past and future sort of situation for Penn State. Six-year senior in Sean Clifford coming into this game, his final match. And then you have the two freshman running backs, Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen. They have been having an incredible season, almost 2,000 combined rushing yards. And so I think for Clifford to succeed, he has to trust those running backs, right? If they have a good game, things are going to open up for him in a passing game, and he's going to be able to finish his Penn State career on a high note. All right, Paolo, we look more, uh, forward to talking much more about this game coming up. Uh, we'll do a deep dive again into the Capital One Orange Bowl I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but everybody's going to be wearing orange. You've got Tennessee and Clemson. I mentioned this before. Tennessee entering with the highest scoring average and most yards per game in the FBS this season. Really an interesting season for Tennessee for a whole lot of reasons. College football reporter David Hale will be covering this one. And all eyes will be on the quarterbacks for different reasons. And Tennessee, of course, among and the best in the country when it comes to slowing down quarterbacks, David. So Cade Klubnick's going to have to put this team on his shoulders, I would think. Uh, do you expect what we saw in the ACC championship game, or, or was that an aberration? Yeah, it's a good question because uh, we've been sort of waiting to see Cade Klubnick emerge all season and there's a lot of Clemson fans right now that are wringing their hands that it didn't happen sooner and maybe they'd be in a playoff game right now but here's the thing as good as Klubnik looked in this game this was against a North Carolina defense that didn't think he was going to play and was gearing up to stop the run a North Carolina defense that has been really bad against the pass all year and a North Carolina defense that was down two starting DBs in this game. So I don't think there's any reason to assume that Klubnik can't be good again. He certainly has the recruiting pedigree and a very high ceiling. But we waited a long time to get to this point as he was sort of up and down in practice and up and down in the limited reps that he got on game day. I'm not sure that this was an automatic turn the page, everything's going to be fine. I think there's still some growing pains to work out for him. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a small sample size. Clemson fans, and I'm among them, don't want to talk about that, but that's just the way it goes. And there's always a learning curve and growing pains. Let's talk about Joe Milton for a second. Didn't miss a beat, really stepping up for Hendon Hooker, who went down with an injury. Can he exploit that Clemson secondary, in your opinion, David? Yeah, it's funny because this is we're talking about sort of the same story on either side of the coin here with backup quarterbacks coming in who, in their last game on the field, looked great. How sustainable is it? The one thing I would say is Clemson's secondary has been burned at times this year. You think back to the Wake Forest game. 
Uh, and there is certainly some avenues for Joe Milton to have some success with a really talented wide receiving core they have there. But we've seen real growth, particularly for Nate Wiggins uh, at, at cornerback for Clemson. And I think he's going to be the key to this game. If he can shut down Tennessee in the red zone and particularly some of those big plays the way he did North Carolina, if you can do it to Drake May, you can probably do it to Joe Milton is my theory. Uh, makes sense. And listen, David, you can't go wrong wearing orange, okay? I'm no wardrobe consultant, but I think you're safe, uh, certainly in this one. Roddy? You don't have on orange. That's okay no. for now. But I am going to ask you this. The most intriguing <laughs> non-New Year's Six bowl game, in your opinion? Well, the, the most intriguing non-semifinal New Year's Six game, to me, has to be the Rose Bowl uh, and it's because of, of Utah going back. And I thought last year was about as poor a matchup for Utah as they could have imagined because of the depth issues that they had in the secondary. They ended up with a running back playing corner against Jackson Smith and Jigba, C.J. Stroud in that Ohio State offense. And they still almost won the game. And then with Penn State coming in, I mean, their two losses are to Michigan and Ohio State, both playoff teams. The rest of the Big Ten wasn't exactly uh, a murderer's row. So there are questions about how good Penn State is. I think this matchup is fascinating. And I think Utah, with their performance last in the Rose Bowl, they have shown up in big games, Pac-12 championship games, and obviously in the Rose Bowl last year. So I'm really excited to see this one. Yeah, I'm, intri I'm intrigued to see uh, the Sugar Bowl in relationship to which Alabama team shows up. You know, are we going to have opt-ins, players that choose to play for Alabama here? What's their mindset? Can they get over the disappointment of not being involved in the college football playoff? We've seen disappointments as it relates to losses to Oklahoma, losses to Utah as a result of that previously. And this is the wrong opponent in Kansas State to take lightly because you know the Wildcats are going to soak up every moment. They cannot wait to get to New Orleans, prove their worth. And Chris Kleiman's got himself a football team uh, that I just think believes in themselves. And if you're Alabama, particularly on defense, what do you have to prepare for from a quarterback perspective from Kansas State? Is it going to be Will Howard? Will they have a, a package if Adrian Martinez is healthy? So now you have to contend with an athletic quarterback, which we've seen in the past has created some issues for Alabama on defense. So really the mindset for Alabama, where are they at when they arrive in, in New Orleans? And can they match that intensity that you know Kansas State's going to bring? Well, I tell you what, I almost feel bad for the fans in Tuscaloosa. They literally don't know what to do if they're not booking national championship tickets the first week <laughs> in January. Somebody probably ought to tell them they can still go to this game. Uh, it, it's all right. It's it, They're still going to play it. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, Christmas comes early. I love it when this happens. Uh, one of the top quarterbacks in the class of 2024. Hi, guys. He'll tell us where he'll play college ball live right here with us coming up. The 2024 dual threat quarterback class has four players all ranked in the top 50 of the ESPN 300 rankings. That includes Alabama commit Julian Sayan. The class headlined by DJ Lagway, who is ranked number 12 overall and still, at least for a few more minutes, remains uncommitted. Lukes, uh, as our scouting coordinator here, uh, put on your scouting hat, if you will, and tell us about DJ Lagway. Well, first of all, he's the ultimate competitor. I go back to last spring, and, and we're hosting an Under Armour All-America camp down in, in the Houston area. 
And he shows up to the camp, and he's a bit dinged up. He's kind of injured, goes through the entire workout, the entire day. And there's really no upside for a player of his stature to do that. You've got multiple scholarship offers. Uh, you have your choice of where you'd like to go, yet you show up and you compete against your peers. You show what you're worth, and you're not even 100% healthy. Secondly, what I love is that his senior year was one of his best, if not his best year uh, to this point, which means that just because he's got a lot of accolades, because he's got a spotlight on him, doesn't mean that he can just go on cruise control. He's really been focused on performance, both through the air and on the ground. Uh, really the true definition of a dual threat. All right, competitor, check. We like it. Uh, we also are thrilled to have DJ with us. He'll make his live commitment here on College Football Live. So we're going to send you out to Texas uh, as we speak, where I believe DJ and his family are standing by. Uh, guys, I know you can hear us, so I'm going to turn it over to you. You have the floor. First off, I'd like to thank God, you know what I mean? Without him, I wouldn't be here. And first, I'd like to thank my family, my coaches, uh, my teammates, through all the healthy years, baseball and football, you know what I mean? Jamal, uh, where we going? <laughs> all right, you know, let's go. Let's do it. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right, DJ, congratulations. I know you had a lot of opportunities to play in different places. Uh, here you come. Get ready, Gator football. Tell me what ultimately led to you uh, led you to this decision. You know, the coaches said it's been amazing, you know what I mean? I just had great communication with them, you know what I mean? They're building something special with him and Coach Napier. Coach Napier and Coach O'Hara, you know what I mean? I'm just excited to get to work and get, let's get the number one class. Let's go. All right. Talk about you ought to have a pretty good Christmas. Now everybody knows what to get you, okay? They can just get you a whole lot of gear, although I feel like you'll have plenty when you get there as well. Uh, DJ, congratulations. Lukes, how does this fit? Well, I think it's a great fit with Billy Napier's offense at Florida, and also there's tremendous opportunity. Unfortunately, last week, Jalen Kitna was dismissed from the football team. Earlier this week, Anthony Richardson declares for the NFL draft. So now there's a chance to, to go in. Uh, I'm not sure yet if he's going to be an early enrollee, uh, but regardless, there's going to be an opportunity to compete and potentially have early playing time. And it's a marquee verbal commitment for, for Billy Napier and his staff as they are just in the infant stages of starting to create the foundation for what they want this Florida program to be going forward. All right, Luke, thank you. Hard to believe we're already talking about the class of 2024. It comes fast. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, a lot to talk about yep. here when we return. Uh, Deion Sanders taking his primetime talents to Colorado, and some have suggested he's leaving Jackson State in a bit of a bind. We will continue that debate coming up.
Oh, he's going to cut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tiffany and Jay. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. 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 Yep. Oh, again. Awesome. You know what? I just looked. Uh, is uh, Mike Zimmer going to be the, the D.C. in Colorado? Who's that? I Mike think it, it, it looks like a Bars. Yeah. Did he? I, it, that's what oh. Barstool says. I don't know. Alabama? I just saw it. Uh, no, the, the former Vikings head coach. From Alabama. No, the. Nah. He was a consultant. That right, well, does it? He was a consultant last year. Oh, that's right. You know what, nah, Jay? I mean, you're right. A, I bet that's right. Yeah. Uh, he was a consultant last year, but I heard the kid from uh, Alabama's coming over to be D coordinator. Welcome back to College Football Live. There's a reason programs make change, and generally it's not because they're at the top of the list in a lot of these categories. That is certainly the case for Colorado. And, of course, they did make a change, and they're off, uh, opting for Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, as we've been calling him, to take over as their new head coach. And, and look, you know what, Luke? Here's what I'll say. It's certainly been no shortage of talk about this program since the decision, and that in part and parcel is, is part of what Deion Sanders brings. Uh, but what's your take? on this fit for Colorado and Coach Prime. I'm really curious to see if the university is going to hold true to its word and change their incoming transfer restrictions that they've had up until this point. Essentially, if there's not a major at the University of Colorado that a player at another school was majoring in, if that player transferred in, you couldn't accept the credits towards graduation. And that put huge handcuffs on really – Colorado's ability to compete in the transfer portal era. That has to change in order for Deion Sanders and his staff to have a chance to build this roster because it can't all come through the high school ranks. They're going to have to make some immediate moves in the transfer portal, and they've got to go out and compete against their competitors and be on a level playing field when it comes to being able to admit guys into school. That's critical. If that happens, then I think this has a tremendous opportunity to be ultra-successful and if, listen, you got a quarterback in Shador Sanders. He was a power five prospect coming out. He's already sent a message to the rest of the roster that if you're not willing to compete, you might as well jump in the transfer portal right now. So the foundation is being laid. It'll be interesting to see if the university is as all in as they're saying they are. Well, you're right. If you didn't see Coach Prime's opening remarks to his team, it was clear. Number one, I come with my quarterback, and I come with a whole lot of other things. If you don't like it, you can move on. And, Roddy, obviously Colorado fans excited and certainly intrigued by this hire. On the flip side, though, Jackson State, I'm sure, wishes this were not the case. Where does this leave Jackson State? Yeah, it's a great question, Wendy, because I think overall you've seen the improvements from a facility standpoint at Jackson State. You certainly saw college game day was at Jackson State this year, and it wasn't just because of the success of the football team. It's because of the magnetism of the head coach, and it made for good TV a great spectacle, which then raised the level uh, and the profile of of SWAC football to the point where it was in the consciousness of every football fan across the country. But because this was such a short stint and because of the talk coming in that Deion Sanders had about Jackson State, about raising the profile of not only the SWAC but HBCUs as a whole – 
and the fact that he's going to leave and take the best players with him to Colorado and leave that roster fairly hollow when it comes to talent. Uh, I think his, his legacy at Jackson State could be a bit complicated uh, overall. All right. Well, one thing we do know, Roddy, is that he was successful while he was there. And also, previously, if you take a look at the resume that Deion Sanders has put together, he went 27-5 and in three seasons, included the undefeated 2022 year, which made the Tigers the first SWAC team to finish undefeated since 1991 Alabama State. So this worked while it did. Tiffany Green and Jay Walker back with us. They covered the HBCUs. They've certainly covered numerous Jackson State games, spent a lot of time with Coach prime and tiffany you heard what roddy had to say you can understand the desire to move on but is it a complicated legacy he leaves behind at jackson state well i think so and you've heard it from the polarizing opinions around coach prime's decision why because Deion sanders had started a great work it had begun in jackson and reinstilling hope you know bringing a program that had a rich tradition back to prominence and so they took a chance on him who had never coached before in the college ranks and gave him an opportunity. And in return, he helped to elevate the media attention, bring facilities. But he also showed the possibilities of what could happen for HBCU athletics when given more attention and when given the resources. He talked about the paradigm shift of bringing players there, top five recruits. We saw that, and unfortunately, we see some of them potentially exit with him as well. I think that left maybe a sour taste or maybe some unfinished business in the minds of some HBCU fans. And complicated, I think, is an understatement. I mean, you know, we follow this all the time. And on the field, obviously, you can't debate what he did. Phenomenal job. They're competing in the SWAC, and they're going to, make it to their second consecutive cricket celebration bowl, which is phenomenal. Nobody saw it coming that soon, but it's the manner in which he came in, singing the praises, telling guys, hey, you can make it to the pros from an HBCU. I'm all in. And then when you leave and, and you take your, your son with you when you go to Colorado, when you get the job, and his son still has to play a game, they have to win that cricket celebration bowl. So how does a starting quarterback for University of Colorado also win the cricket celebration bowl in Atlanta? is going to take place that just complicates that and so i think it's stories like that that don't show the the true meaning like it's not consistent so it's been inconsistent he does some great things he does some things that make you scratch your head sometimes but i think that's what i said like yesterday that's prime being prime but i think on the field he'll go down as a very successful coach at jackson state for an hbcu the spotlight has been tremendous shine on all these institutions but where's that legacy go now is a big question well, that is the question, Jay, and I, I think you make a great point. It worked well when it worked, and it, and it did for three strong seasons. Jackson State, you know, you, you got you to gotta move on. You turn the page. Uh, where do they look at this point? You know, and I think first you have to have an understanding of what Jackson State was before Dion got there. They led FCS in attendance nine out of ten years in a row. I mean, they were the number one FCS school in the country with attendance. Now, he added to that. Now, the margin's even greater so, but this is a blue-blood HBCU football program, one of the good ones, a school that brought you Walter Payton along with four pro football Hall of Famers. The athletic director there, Ashley Robinson, he's very hands-on when it comes to his football coach. So he's going to make another big splash. Although they recommended a coach from the staff there to keep it going, I don't know if that's going to happen. I can see him doing that because it's the easiest way, but he's not a guy that's afraid to go outside the box when it comes to coach selection. I've heard some big names out there that are interested in the job, but it's going to be very tough to fill those shoes. One, you got to win. 
And two, you got to replace Coach Prime. So it's an interesting job. I know a lot of people want it, but I always say be careful what you wish for because it may not be as shiny as you think it is. Yeah, those are some seriously big shoes to fill. And again, if they've had success making a splash one time, uh, I would think you're right that that's likely the direction in which they'll turn this time around. Uh, Guys, Tiffany J., thanks. It's been a blast all season. We've got plenty of football left as we continue to look ahead. Take a look at our Capital One Bowl Mania preview, officially under 10 days until the Cricket Celebration Bowl. That, again, featuring what, what an interesting game that ought to be, guys. Jackson State and North Carolina Central, but the action gets started the day before on December 16th, highlighted by UTSA and Troy. They will meet in the Duluth Trading Cure Bowl. All right. Who doesn't love a little conspiracy theory? Is it 1997 again? I don't know. Peyton Manning lost out to Charles Woodson in the Heisman, and we're going to take a quick look back before we look ahead to the weekend. Coming up. I mean, I'm telling you, that is some debate because 25 years later and we're still debating. Andrea Adelson back with us. And Andrea, uh, you and Chris Lowe have an article out right now on ESPN.com about this, the 1997 Heisman Trophy Award Ceremony. And we were all surprised. Uh, What did you learn when researching this story? Well, the story was initially about the split national championship between Michigan and Nebraska that season and how it came to be that those two teams shared a national title. They both finished undefeated. And as I started the reporting, I started to realize, wait a minute, Tennessee has a role in all of this. And it all goes back to the Heisman because the Tennessee fan base is still enraged that Peyton did not win the Heisman. It's referred to as the heist men in those parts. And because they were so vocal about Charles Woodson winning it, let's fast forward a month, and now it's Tennessee playing Nebraska in the Orange Bowl, and Nebraska beats Tennessee handily. And though Michigan had a very large lead in the coaches' poll headed into that game, well, it was Nebraska that finished number one in the coaches' poll. And so there's a conspiracy theory on the Michigan side that, I don't know, maybe it was Phil Fulmer who changed his vote in the coaches' poll to deny Michigan a unanimous national championship as some sort of revenge. This is a claim that Phil Fulmer obviously denies. But those ballots were not made public back then. So 25 years later, there are still conspiracy theories on both sides about why Peyton 
Creighton didn't win the Heisman and why Michigan wasn't a unanimous champion. And that, to me, was just this incredible connection that I never put together until we started reporting the story. Fascinating. And in your story, I know uh, Fulmer did say he hasn't paid a whole lot of attention at all to the Heisman since that night in New York. So uh, clearly uh, he was shocked as well. There's still disappointment here, Andrea, in some cases on both sides of the argument. And we're talking about 25 years later. Why is that? Well, because it's college football and everybody's passionate about their teams and their favorite players. And obviously, when we look at what Peyton Manning has done throughout the course of his career, it stings that he didn't win that Heisman. Tennessee has never won a Heisman. And there were high hopes this year for Hendon Hooker to be in New York in the Heisman ceremony. Well, he's not there. And on the other side, for Michigan, Blake Corum, they thought he might be able to get a trip to the Heisman. He's not there. Everybody wants to see their favorite players there in New York lifting that trophy. And so 25 years, 35 years, 50 years, this is going to sting no matter what for the folks in Tennessee. And to your point, I love your answer. Why? Because it's college football, and this is part of what makes it so great, the passion and the commitment. Andrea, thank you. And you mentioned the four finalists, of course, have been announced because we're talking about the Heisman Trophy ceremony in New York coming up this weekend. And we've got four quarterbacks, three of the four of which will play in the college football playoff. Mark's just the fourth time every player invited to New York is a quarterback. Also happened in 01, 08, and 2018. And anytime you pick four, you got four more Lugs that people say should be there. Now, you heard Andrea talk about Hendon Hooker. Uh, a tough break there, certainly with the injury. But in your opinion, who got snubbed? Uh, I look at Bijan Robinson at Texas and Blake Corm at Michigan. Now, you know, Bijan just under 1,600 yards, 18 touchdowns, uh, two touchdowns through the air, an integral part of the passing game. He really carried this football team. He's the one player that if you ask Sark, who's the best wide receiver on your team? He might say Bijan Robinson, and that's how much he meant to the team. And then Blake Corum, I think you saw that obviously they could replace him, but Blake Corum carried the run game and the physical, physical nature of this offense for Michigan, unfortunate, an injury late in the year. And, Lugs, I think it's Hendon Hooker. I mean, the injury, the, the fact that they lost two games down the stretch probably pushed him out of the national mindset. Uh, but also because of the regionality of the way people vote. Maybe those votes in the South, Southeast went to Stetson Bennett. But Hendon Hooker was incredible. Like, did we just forget how good he's been this year because he got hurt? It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how things change, right, from the quarter pole to the halfway mark. We were talking all Hendon Hooker all the time. Then, of course, the injury and near point uh, losing those few games down the stretch. It has been a wild ride. And coming up, we've got the plays that shape the season as we get set to crown another national champion. Coming up tomorrow, the 32nd annual Home Depot College Football Award Show. It's a two-hour extravaganza. Reese Davis will host. Greg, Sam, Jen, and Christine will be there. This is at 7 Eastern. Okay, top plays, and we start with the Heisman finalist, Stetson, Stetson Bennett Lugs, the touchdown run against Tennessee. Guts, grit, moxie, call it what you will. It's probably a large reason why he is a Heisman finalist. He's just a winner. There are things that he can do that you bottle it up. If you could sell it, you'd be a billionaire. Well, Lug's on the West Coast. All right, There's Michael a lot Penix, of people... down. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, there's a lot of people clamoring, saying that Michael Penix should have been in the Heisman Trophy ceremony. 62-yard pass against Oregon that helped them win that game 37-34. Incredible. Michigan on fourth down against Illinois, Lugs. You got to make the plays at the critical times of the game to put your team in a position to win. That's exactly what Michigan did offensively. And the kicker saves the day. Oh, we can count. We can do math. Spencer Rattler's fifth touchdown pass against Tennessee, Roddy. Yeah, and he wasn't done after this one, but he said not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. And by the way, Spencer, you got one coming later on to beat Tennessee. I can't believe this is number six, the Kansas State goal line stand to ruin a perfect season, Lugs. And they didn't give the ball to Max Duggan on the goal line twice. Holy smokes, put Kansas State in a position to get to the Sugar Bowl and to win the Big 12 championship. It'll, it'll be a long time before I fully understand that one, by the way. How about the long Utah touchdown pass against USC? Another spoiler alert here, Roddy. Uh, I am going to remember this play for the fact that tackling was optional, much like my entire college career when <laughs> I had to make a tackle. Uh, it's a great play by Utah, but come on, USC. you got to be better than that on defense. Oh, boy. Donovan Edwards, a long touchdown run against their arch rival, Lugs. No quorum, no problem. Ohio State decides to sell out in this one, and if you get past the first line of defense, there's nobody left to defend the run. We saw this a couple of times in the big game. I'm not playing favorites, but I love this play, Roddy, because this was just a great game to watch as a college football fan. Wendy, Tennessee went 45 yards in 13 seconds to set up this Chase McGrath field goal. We talk about the field goal, but the drive to get there was incredible. And then the, the goal right, post are still in the Tennessee w- River. They're still where well, they raised a lot of money. They replaced them maybe. TCU, the game-winning field goal against Baylor, Lukes. Perfectly executed. Use the clock, even though thus, those of us at home might be going, what are they doing? Look at the players run on. Look at the players run off, get set, and don't give your kicker a chance to think about it. Just line up and kick it. And finally, LSU, the two-point conversion to beat Alabama and likely eliminate the tide from the playoff. I mean, the stones by Brian Kelly to just say, hey, look, let's end the game right here. They scored on one play in overtime, hit the two-point conversion. Nick Saban, sad face, going home. What a tremendous season when you string it all together. I mean, it's been so much fun to watch. We're not done yet, though, and we'll be back tomorrow. College Football Live coming your way on Thursday.